Hello, everyone, and welcome to the PyTorch Dev Podcast. Today, I want to talk about tensor subclasses and the Liskov substitution principle. If you haven't seen it already, I recently posted the State of PyTorch Core September 2021 edition, which basically talked about all the things that were going on inside PyTorch Core right now. And one of the things that you may have picked up um, reading over this is that we have actually got a lot of stuff going on related to tensor subclasses. That is to say, um, you know, subclasses of tensor that add more different kinds of behavior for any sorts of things you might want to do. And there's a ton of things going on here, like linear operators, like debug tensors, like functorch. And um, I wanted to um, pull open the cover on one of the things that we've been thinking about when designing how this ecosystem should look like, and that's the Liskov substitution principle which says some things about when it is permissible to subclass some object and when it is not permissible to. Okay, so let's just dive straight into it. So what is the Liskov substitution principle? So you may have learned this in um, you know, your undergrad class about object-oriented programming, and the definition you heard probably sounds something like this. If S is a subtype of T, then any T may be replaced with S without altering any desirable properties of programs that were previously using T. That's a bit of a mouthful, so let's look at an example. Um, let's suppose that we have some class that implements, say, bags. So bags are um, sort of uh, owner-ordered collections of items, but unlike sets, um, you can have multiple copies of an item in a bag, right? So like I might have three apples and two oranges. And if I had a set, I could only say that I have an apple and an orange. But in a bag, I can say I have three apples and two oranges. Now, if I have an implementation of a bag, I can easily reuse this implementation to implement a set. All I have to do is subclass it and say, well, um, whenever I insert things into the bag, if I already have the thing in the bag, I'm just not going to insert it in that situation. No problem. So this subclassing works. I can use inheritance to implement sets in this way, and it violates the Liskov substitution principle. Why does it violate the Liskov substitution principle? Well, imagine that you've got an algorithm, and you know it wants to do some sort of counting of objects, and so it was using a bag inside its algorithm to like put things in, and then at the very end, read out what the counts of things should be. If you replaced the bag with a set, which we were sort of thinking about is a set, a subtype of a bag, if we replaced a bag with a set, then when I ran this algorithm, I would only ever count um, up to one for any given uh, item that I was looking for. And that probably isn't what my algorithm wanted to do. Barbara Liskov gives another example, which is that um, in the old days, when people were sort of just figuring out this object-oriented programming thing, people would make claims like queues and stacks are subtypes of each other. Why did they say that? Well, you know, a queue and a stack have a push operation and a pop operation. And so, you know, the methods are the same. So, well, you know, they're structurally indistinguishable from each other, right? Like they just have the same methods, so you can use one or the other. And Parvo was like, well, but that doesn't make any sense, right? Like if I had a program and it's using a stack and then I replace the stack with a queue, my program is going to do something totally different. Like because, you know, last and first out and first and first out are totally different ways of going about doing things. And probably my program wouldn't work at all if I replaced my stack with a queue. 
So the moral of the story behind Liskov substitution principle and why, you know, like we love to teach it in the undergrad um, CS curriculum is because it shows people that, hey, subclassing is not the same thing as subtyping or behavioral subtyping, as Liskov liked to call it um, in the later days, right? Like just because something has the same interface doesn't mean they're actually substitutable. You actually have to say something about what the behavior of the program is in these situations. So I remember learning about the Liskov substitution principle and thinking to myself, well, that doesn't sound too complicated. You know, like, that, this seems like a very simple thing to abide by. Um, you know, what's the big deal? And, well, maybe it is. But in fact, you know, I would say LSP has spawned a ton of debate all over the internet about, like, what exactly um, is meant by this. And um, it's not exactly straightforward to apply the principle in any every cases. In fact, there are some very embarrassing situations where very famous software projects have violated LSP and discovered it to their detriment uh, later. Ralph Gommers relates to me a very fun story from NumPy's history, which is that um, there's this class in NumPy called NumPy.matrix. It's a subclass of ND arrays, so um, it was at least um, originally intended to be usable in any situation where an ND array was, and it's basically a specialization of ND array for the matrix situations, right? 2D, um, and what they did was they were like, okay, well, because these are matrices, um, we're going to make multiply, like just the normal asterisk operator, mean matrix multiply in the situation. Well, even though numpy.matrix has the same API as numpy and array, um, it totally violates LSP because, you know, anywhere I had some numpy program that was originally expecting to have an ND array um, and expecting the uh, star operator to give me pointwise multiplication, if I sub in a numpy.matrix, I will suddenly get matrix multiplication. And I'll probably just get errors in this situation. And my program will not behave the same way. And like, it will have none of the you know properties that I wanted to have. So as a result, like, Every, you know, like serious NumPy function in the ecosystem first casts everything to ND arrays just so that, you know, they don't have to worry about someone passing a NumPy matrix. You really shouldn't use NumPy matrix if you, if you can get away with it. So what I think makes LSP so controversial is that we said that you can replace any T with an S without altering desirable properties, but we didn't really say what is meant by desirable property. Barbara, at least, meant um, what she meant by properties was that if you were only using the API defined by the supertype, um, you couldn't see the difference between using a T versus using an S. And this is a very reasonable definition, um, especially in an academic context. But while in actual programming languages like Python and C++, there are a lot of ways you can interact with an object. So if you say every operation that was possible on the supertype needs to be preserved by the subtype, well, in practice, there is basically no change you're allowed to make. Like, as a simple example, in Python, I can ask what the type of an object is. And if I subclass my type, then I will get a different subclass in this situation. And therefore, it is observable that there is a difference in the situation. And therefore, no subclass is a true subtype in this situation. And to take the flip side perspective, I could say, well, 
you know, programs are meaningless. It doesn't matter what a program does. All I need is for it to be type safe or for it to not raise exceptions. And so as long as it quacks like a duck, as long as it implements all of the methods that I expected on the original object, I have no obligation to you to make the um, subclass actually behave in any reasonable way. And so a lot of, um, you know, monkey patching and duck typing in Python sort of is based on this idea, right? There's no spec. You just subclass the object, override a bunch of stuff, and pray that something reasonable happens. So clearly there is a solution to this problem. And the solution to this problem is that we shouldn't use concrete implementations of objects as the definitions of our supertypes. Instead, we should use some sort of abstract specification and use that as the basis for deciding what behavior is allowable or not. And this is definitely, in my opinion, what Liskov had in mind when she said, well, you know, um, the LSP is all about not being observably different when you talked about it in terms of the supertype. But of course, this was in simpler times when, you know, we didn't have tons and tons of ways to break encapsulation on objects. But of course, defining an abstract specification for what a tensor is supposed to be um, is not so easy. Of course, it's easier than defining an abstract specification for what a widget factory is supposed to be because, you know, tensor has its roots in mathematics. And one could say mathematics is, you know, very much in the business of sort of abstracting away, um, you know, differences between objects. But at least in PyTorch, you know, we don't have anything written down. Um, it's all based on, off of an informal understanding of how code tends to work with tensors in practice. And that means that you really um, are, you know, sort of rediscovering what it means to be a tensor every time you make a tensor subclass. Of course, there are some tensor subclasses where it's not so hard to make a determination in this way, right? Like, for example, there are a lot of um, types of tensor subclasses like logging tensors or finite tensors or NAND tensors where um, it's kind of easy to see that these obey LSP because all they do is they do the same thing a normal tensor would have done, but then with a little extra behavior on top, like printing out what operators were called or you know testing if all the elements in the tensor are finite. And so the spec here is that, well, everything that like is the tensory behavior, that's part of the abstract specification. And all the other things like the logging behavior or whether or not we throw exceptions or not, that's sort of external to the tensor specification. And most code that you write is going to, you know, be um, indifferent to those extra things, the extra logging or the error reporting. It's indifferent to the error reporting, by the way, because in Python, you can actually throw exceptions, unlike in languages like Go, where all exceptions have to be handled manually. If you had to handle exceptions manually, then throwing an error would not, in fact, be a, um, you know easy to add um, piece of behavior on top. Then there are some types of objects which mostly obey the Liskov substitution principle, but if you poke hard enough at implementation details, maybe not. And a good example of this are the linear operators from GPyTorch, um, authored by Max Bell and Dot. Um, what are these things? Well, the basic concept is that um, tensors traditionally store all of the data 
um, corresponding to them, but sometimes there's special linear algebra structure associated with the tensor. And so if you store only that, or you like store that there is in fact this structure at all in the first place, a lot of linear algebra operations can be run faster. So a very simple example of this is if you have a diagonal matrix, you don't need to store all the matrix, which is mostly zeros. You can just store the diagonal. And if you want to multiply a diagonal matrix with another uh, matrix, that's only uh, linear, right? Because you just zip through the diagonal and you're done. So these also sort of obey the Liskov substitution principle in a very um, you know uh, tight way because well a diagonal matrix is still a matrix which is still a tensor so there's still this is a relationship and mathematically you know anything you can do with a uh, uh, tensor you can also do on a diagonal matrix and even if you don't have a kernel for it what you can do you can just materialize the diagonal matrix into a normal dense tensor and then do the operation. But there's still some stuff that doesn't work, right? Like you can't get out a data pointer to the um, contents of a diagonal tensor and then expect you know the first n elements uh, to be zero, right? Like you're you're going to get if I give you a data pointer, it's going to be to this contiguous representation, and it's not really going to um, you know behave the same way you would have expected with a normal stridid tensor. And this is sort of okay, right? Like most code written in PyTorch in Python doesn't involve poking at raw pointers. And so um, for the most part, you can generally assume that code is going to behave okay in this situation. You might still have to audit your code if, you know, like maybe you're um, backending to some external C kernel. And finally, there's tensor types that don't really obey LSP at all like um, nested tensors, which want to change the type of size in tensor so that it doesn't return just a uh, tuple of integers, but it actually returns some nested structure saying what the size of all the various dimensions in your tensor are. And so technically, uh, facilities like torch function allow for this. You can define a torch function on an object that doesn't subclass from tensor at all. So there isn't even any subtype relation besides the, you know, the Python duck typing relation that all objects participate in. But it's still rough for a tensor like this because you might still want to use like code that was written on normal PyTorch tensors in this situation. And so you're appealing to an even smaller subset of the um, tensor language, um, an even you know, more relaxed um, set of invariants and properties that like generalizes for both nested tensors and normal tensors. And it's just generally hard to figure out what this is supposed to mean. Things get even hairier if you actually, honest to goodness, subclass from tensor because um, from our C++ side, we have a actually, we have a very strict contract about what fields in the C++ implementation have to be filled in, you know, with actual values. And there's very specific concrete machine types associated with them. And anyone who subclasses from Tenster is obligated to fill these in in a reasonable way. And sometimes it's not so easy to do. But because we want to be able to inline accessors to these fields on Tensor, we have this very strict, um, you know, behavioral requirement um, that sort of makes it a little difficult to create subclasses of Tensor. That's why you have to use underscore underscore new instead of underscore underscore init. It's because um, the you know, underlying C++ Tensor object has to be allocated all in one go. 
There are many other subtleties that I could talk about, but I do want to relate um, this discussion back to LSP for one particular aspect, which is what um, should be the behavior of custom su tensor subclasses be when you mix two different subclasses together. Like, say I have a debugging tensor and I add it to a, a diagonal tensor. Like, what exactly should happen in this situation? Zachary DeVito had a good comment the other day about what it means to be compositional. What it means to be compositional is that you don't need to look at the cross product of every interaction between classes to understand what things are, are going to do, right? So if you have to sit down and like manually write down what um, it means when you cross a debugging tensor with a diagonal tensor, um, you're not compositional, right? You're writing this monolithic thing and you've manually worked out what the interactions between these two things are supposed to be. If we want to be compositional, this interaction has to be worked out automatically. But how could we actually do that? Because if I am adding um, these two tensors together, I probably have an implementation of adding a logging tensor to a normal tensor. And I probably also have an implementation of adding a, a diagonal tensor to a normal tensor. But you know that doesn't give me an implementation of a diagonal tensor added to a logging tensor. And of course, LSP says that actually, I do have a way of getting an implementation of this, right? So when I have a uh, logging tensor, I also have a normal tensor. And so I could use that tensor in place of the tensor um, in the implementation that takes a diagonal tensor and adds it to a normal tensor. And similarly, when I have a diagonal tensor, I also have a normal tensor. And I could just use that diagonal tensor as if it were a tensor into the implementation of a logging tensor plus a tensor. And so via LSP, if you actually believe in it, which it's not entirely clear that you should, um, we can actually generate a implementation that works out of the box without having to like deal with these cases individually but there's a problem, right? Which is there's two possible ways I can implement it and their behaviors are actually going to be divergent. And so in general, this is kind of hard to resolve. And in fact, the only way to really resolve it um, in a reasonable way is to do the non-compositional thing and just explicitly say what the interactions of these two tensors should be. Unless you're functorch. The lesson of functorch is that if we define an ordering between these two operations and we say we phrase each of these tensor subclasses as a way of you know sort of desugaring a bunch of tensor operations into a bunch of lower level tensor operations that don't make reference to your tensor subclass like you know this diagonal tensor turns into a bunch of operations on not diagonal tensors if you have the ordering and you have the desugaring then you can decompose these and it's in a unique way and it's compositional so I'm not really sure what the right answer here is in general, but my hypothesis, and um, when I look at NumPy, I see that there are plenty of NDRA subclasses, but they mostly don't interact with each other, is that people are going to write tensor subclasses. They are generally not going to make them compositional, and if you do want them to be compositional, well, you need to fit them into a framework like in Functorch, like, you know, Jax's functional transformations. So that's pretty interesting, and I hope we can develop it in more detail and share it with you when we figure it all out. That's everything I wanted to say for today. Talk to you next time.